0: My name is Eden Richardson. I'm the discipleship director here at First Baptist Rock Hill. Thank you so much for tuning in from from our pastor's sermon from this past Sunday. We are so excited for what God's going to teach you through his word today. We hope that it blesses, encourages, and challenges you as you listen. Also, be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel where you will get to see these weekly sermons. We hope you enjoy it, and thank you so much. Good morning, church family. It is really good to be with you today, to see you. I want to thank you for praying for me and my family the last week or so. The last two weeks have been uh, pretty eventful for us. I want to give you a, an update, but I did want to say thank you. A lot of you have text, sent text messages, emails, communicated in other ways, even some uh, old-fashioned handwritten notes. So thank you for your prayers and your love. Um, mom is 86 her dementia is worsening but she's stable now her heart kidney working normally she uh her repeat cycle with her dementia is getting shorter all the time Uh, she's in a rehab facility and will in the not distant future move into a, a nursing home so your prayers for her are appreciated and our grandson james he's home um and uh Doing well, uh, his motor skills, sensory responses, everything is normal. He's already turned over once by himself, so we praise God for that. The MRI does show some abnormalities because there was the oxygen deprivation and they had to resuscitate him. Um, Don't know what that will mean as he develops. Uh, Could be nothing, could be something simple, moderate, probably on the worst side. The good news is he was practically full term which means his brain is developed and it'll have the opportunity to, you know, to, to, bypass and create new pathways and all that. So just pray that that happens and, and he'll be the healthiest of all of us in the days to come. So thank you for your prayers. Monisa's in California. Uh, it's raining there. The hurricane's blowing in. She said, it's not real heavy yet, but it's on its way. And she's flying back home Tuesday. And by then it'll be sunny as normal in California. So, um, but again, I just want to give you that update and thank you for your prayers. We are continuing this teaching from the book of Ezekiel. So go ahead and open your Bible to the 10th chapter of Ezekiel. In our reading plan here at the church and in your D groups, uh, you're now reading Ezekiel. And I started preaching this about three weeks ago. So just wanted to give you kind of a head start in understanding the book of Ezekiel. Let me see your copy of God's Word written electronic. Let me see it. Thank you so much for always bringing God's Word with you uh, to worship today. We're going to talk about spiritual backsliding. Spiritual lethargy. There was a time you were passionate in your walk with Jesus, but today, maybe not as much. Have you ever known someone, I know I have, you ever known someone who, there was a time in their life, I mean, they were active at church, they were on fire for God, they, they read the Bible, they were excited, they were growing, and now, they're not. Anybody ever known someone like that? Yeah, all of us have. Maybe that was you at one time. Here's the question I want to ask Are you at risk of becoming that kind of believer? Are you perhaps already on the journey to being that kind of disciple? You look back and you say, man, I used to really be excited about God. I used to be so on fire and I felt close to God, but things have changed today. It's not like it used to be. And I know as we age, things change. But your passion for Christ, your love for him should deepen, not weaken. And today's passage in Ezekiel will help us. Because I want to help you. Understand in general terms how spiritual lethargy develops, how people spiritually backslide. What's that process look like? How can you avoid it happening in your life? And if you're already on the journey to lethargy, you've already backslidden, how you can get back home and get right with God again? Now, the last time I preached two weeks ago, and I appreciate Reggie changing his schedule to fill in for me last week when I had to run up to Kentucky to be with mom real quick. But uh, um, we looked in chapters eight and nine, and Ezekiel is this prophet who's who's in exile. He's a slave in Babylon, been part of the, the second deportation. But he has this vision. And in this vision, God sends an angel and transports him. Now, he doesn't physically leave babylon but in his vision he leaves babylon and he's carried to jerusalem and to the temple and he sees everything going on there he sees the sins of the religious leaders the government leaders the people the people coming there to worship he sees their sin and and while they're still there worshiping god they're also worshiping other gods, other religions. They're mingling all of that together. You remember that big word from two weeks ago, syncretism? How many remember that word, syncretism? You all beat the other services. A few of you remember that word. Syncretism is just a philosophical word for mixing and blending, creating your own stew. And in our culture, that's what people do with religion and philosophy and values. They pick what they want, create what they want. And that's what the Jewish people in Ezekiel's day were doing. And God condemned it. In fact, he used the analogy of marriage and said it was like they were being spiritually unfaithful. They were committing spiritual adultery against God. He's going to judge them with the Babylonians, going to conquer the city, destroy the city, and and then the the good news in the vision in chapters eight and nine last uh, two weeks ago was that God sends someone through the city of Jerusalem, marking on the forehead those who belong to Him who were not guilty of syncretism and worshiping other gods with the God of Israel, and and the the meaning there is that if you live in a very chaotic world, you live in a culture that that is not godly, but you are faithful to Jesus and you love Jesus. God sees you and knows you and you never get lost in the crowd. His eye is always on you. He knows who belongs to him. And I am so thankful for that. I really am. Now chapters 10 and 11, which we're going to look at this morning, continue that same vision. So this, this vision when God transported Ezekiel from Babylon to Jerusalem covers all four chapters. And you'll remember the temple in Jerusalem that, that God takes Ezekiel to is the temple Solomon built first temple in Jerusalem. It's massive. It's ornate. It's, 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 it's grand. It's expensive. It's beautiful. A lot of gold and it's surrounded by a couple of courtyards and, Inside the temple building itself are two rooms. The first room is the holy place with this table of showbread where the priest would go every day. But the innermost room, hidden behind a very heavy veil, is the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant Moses had constructed, overlaid with gold. And... In that Ark of the Covenant are the stones. The Ten Commandments were written on Aaron's rod and some of the manna that fell from heaven when God fed them during the wilderness wanderings. And on either side of the Ark of the Covenant are these two massive carvings, overlaid in gold of angels called cherubs, in plural, cherubim. These two cherubs, if you will, And and one of them's wing spreads out and touches the left wall. The other one's wing spreads out and touches the right wall. And the other two wings meet in the middle. They tip in the middle over the Ark of the Covenant and form what the Jews thought of as the throne of God over the Ark of the Covenant inside the Holy of Holies in the temple. And the Jews from all over the nation would go up to Jerusalem and up to the temple because they're going, it's on a hill, but because they're going up to God. You don't go down from God, you go up to God. And when they saw that temple, they knew in there was the Holy of Holies they had never seen. Only the high priest could go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. But they knew what was in there and that represented for them the very glory, the very presence of Almighty God. And so God brings Ezekiel to that scene and he sees the temple and he sees the sins and the hypocrisy and the syncretism of the people and he says, I'm going to judge them. Babylon is going to conquer them and destroy them and even more will be carried away as exiles. The city will be burned. The temple will be burned. The Holy of Holies will be destroyed. The Ark of the Covenant will be lost forever. And this vision, we pick it up in chapter 10 and verse 1. So let's look at it in your Bible, please. Chapter 10, verse 1. Ezekiel says, I looked, and behold in the expanse that were over the heads of the cherubim, something like a sapphire stone in appearance resembling a throne appeared above them. And you had those carvings of cherub cherubim in the Holy of Holies. But in this vision, there are these four angels, cherubs, four cherubim, carrying from heaven an expanse. On top of that expanse is the throne of God. So these four angels are carrying from heaven God's throne down to Jerusalem. And they stand beside the temple holding the throne of God from heaven. And it's empty. But it won't be empty long. Verse 3, they were standing on the right side, right beside the temple. And in verse 4, look at this. And the glory of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord is synonymous with the presence of God. Because wherever God is, his glory shows up. The glory of the Lord, the presence of God went up from the cherub. That's the ones in the Holy of Holies above the Ark of the Covenant. To the threshold of the temple. And the temple was filled with the cloud and the court filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. So what he's saying is that the glory of God, the presence of God, left the inner room, the Holy of Holies, left the Ark of the Covenant, left that throne and moved to the threshold of the temple, to the door of the temple going outside to the surrounding courtyards. And God's glory spilled over inside and spilled over outside. So he's not... On the throne, he's at the door. It's like God is not here at the altar anymore. God's not here in the pulpit anymore. But God has moved out to the doorway at the lobby. Most of you entered this morning from the parking lot to the threshold. And the vision continues down in verse 18. And then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim what's he saying those four angels from heaven were carrying that expanse on which the throne of god sat and god's moved from the holy of holies out to the door the threshold of the temple and now he leaves the door of the temple and he gets on the throne the angels had carried down from heaven god's no longer here at the altar and god's no longer at the door By the drop-off entering the lobby, God moved from that door. The angels outside were holding the throne of God up above. And God moves up and sits on the throne outside the building. Verse 19. And the cherubim, plural, the four, departed. They moved talks about their wings and all of that don't 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 worry about that it just means these four angels carrying God's throne are moving and in the middle of verse 19 they stood still at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house of the temple and the glory of God the presence of God of Israel hovered over them so now they're no longer at uh, the, the they've carried the throne of God and the presence of God from the entrance of the temple to the gate That leaves the outer courtyard moving into the city. And so now God's glory is no longer at the altar. His glory is no longer at the door entering the lobby. His glory is no longer on the throne just above that entrance. But those angels have carried the presence of God, the throne of God, the glory of God out to the edge of the parking lot. Getting ready to leave our church property and turn on Hood Center and Dave Lyle. then God talks to Ezekiel in this vision, tells him some things we'll come back to in a minute. But you move over toward the end of chapter 11 as the vision continues. And in verse 22 of chapter 11, then the cherubim, these four angels, lifted up their wings. They move in the glory of God. So hey, God is still there on that throne they are carrying. Remember, it's parked at the east gate leaving the courtyard and now the glory of the lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain which is east of the city he's now on the outer edge of the city limits leaving god's not here at the altar not at the door to the lobby Not on the throne the angels are carrying just outside. He's no longer at the edge of the parking lot getting ready to turn onto Dave Lyle Boulevard. Now he's moved to the east edge of the city. He's out here on the bridge going over Catawba River on Highway 21. Getting ready to leave Rock Hill and go to Fort Mill. He's leaving town. Now that's the image. That's the vision. But if a Jew had looked at the temple, everything would have looked the same. And they would have been doing the same things they'd always done. See, when you drift from God, when you experience spiritual backsliding and spiritual lethargy on the outside, you're still you. Things have changed. And sometimes you need something dramatic to happen to wake you up to how much Things have changed. Did you notice? God did not leave the temple all in one fell swoop, one big step. It was gradual. One step, then another step, and then more steps. And that's how spiritual backsliding usually happens. Then for some people, it's quick and overnight. For most, it's not. Most people who drift spiritually, it happens over a period of time. It's a process. And it's step after step as they slowly drift away, as they slowly begin reading their Bible less. as they slowly begin missing church more Sundays, as they slowly become involved in other things that take them from the things of God, as they slowly begin playing around with little sins that later might become bigger sins, as they start saying things like, I think I need a break I paid my dues. I've served long enough. I've been in Sunday school, life group, D group enough. I think I'll take a break, just a little break. And then it becomes a longer break. Start saying to yourself something like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bored with church. I'm bored with D group. I'm bored with Bible reading. I'm bored with whatever. Say something like, you know, I think I'll just go to worship today. I'll I'll, I'll miss life group. That's not that big a deal. I'll just go to worship today. And then it starts happening more often. And then it becomes your new lifestyle, your new habit. You start hanging out with new friends. And that's good. That's okay unless it's the wrong friends. You take up new activities, new hobbies, nothing wrong with them. We all need them. But these end up keeping you out of church on the Lord's day. Keep you so busy you don't have time. Oh, I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to I don't have time to participate in ministry and sir, you know, Do you know that everything you think of as a blessing is not necessarily a blessing? Because the devil knows if such and such will get the better of you spiritually, he can give it to you. Start going places you know you shouldn't go, doing things you know you shouldn't do. The Jewish people to whom Ezekiel is ministering kept going to the temple, they continued worshiping, they just started adding all this pagan stuff to it. And the next thing you knew, they were so far from God, they were so much into lethargy and sin that God had to discipline and judge them. I mean, most people who backslide don't say, oh, I hate God, I don't believe in God, I don't care about God, I hate church. They even show up occasionally or show up, you know, half the time maybe. But there's no spiritual vibrancy. There's no real growth as a disciple. There's no consistent serving God and making a difference in this world for the kingdom's sake. Used to feel close to God, now you don't. A uh, Friday. Friday we. Uh, we, we had to replace the water heater, hot water heater at the house. Had a hot water heater, had it 15 years, got my money's worth out of it. But it was starting to leak a little bit, cold water and corrosion. And so I put in a new tankless gas water heater. And Man, when they got that thing out and, and took it outside, and I looked at the backside. You know the side you don't see when it's up against the wall? A lot of corrosion. And that seam had started to come apart. And if we had not replaced it when we did, that seam would have come further apart. And all of a sudden, there would have been this big explosion of water flooding everything. Got it fixed just in time. But that corrosion, that separation in the seam didn't happen overnight. It took some time. And that's what happens in our lives spiritually. the corrosion starts building, the separation starts, It it, it, it starts and, and you don't fix it. You don't pay attention to it. And the corrosion increases. The corruption increases. And the gap gets bigger and bigger. Until one day there's a flood. And you've got a mess on your hands. In your life. Spiritually or otherwise. But it started small. And it started gradually. That's how spiritual backsliding normally happens are you at risk of it are you already there are you on the journey to it i've got good news for you you can come back to the promised land you you can come home you can you can be close again You, you can be right with your lord again and he tells us how in the first half of chapter 11 when god is at the east gate of the courtyard before he moves outside the city limits proper He talks to Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, there's hope. And God says to you, if you're backslidden, God says to you, if you kind of dried up spiritually, there's hope. You don't have to stay where you are. You can come back. Look at verses 17 and following in chapter 11. 17 and following in chapter 11. You know, old habits die hard. I went up to push my glasses up and realized I don't have glasses right now. Man, we are creatures of habit, aren't we? There's a lesson in that spiritually too. Verse 17. Therefore, say, God says, Ezekiel, here's what I want you to say to the people. Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered. And I will give you the land of Israel. He's saying... You tell these exiles, these, these Jewish people that I'm disciplining and judging by sending them into exile, that their descendants one day will come back to the land of Israel. They will be able to return to the promised land. And, and while he's talking about the nation of Israel, I want to apply these principles to you and me as disciples today. And it's that you can come back home. You, you don't have to stay in that foreign country of spiritual dryness. You can come back home. You, you don't have to stay in that foreign land of bad decisions. You can come back home. You, you don't have to live out there in the, the world filled with guilt all the time. You can come back home and be cleansed and forgiven and healed. And that's good news. How do you get back home? Well, three things he mentions here. More we could talk about, but let's just focus on these three. The first one is found in verse 18. Here's one thing you do. He said, when they when they come there, when they come back home, they will remove all the detestable things and all its abominations from it. In other words, they're going to get rid of all those idols, all that syncretism, all the stuff associated with these other religions and philosophies and value systems. They're going to get rid of all that and they're going to be faithful, faithful, faithful. God. In other words, if you're going to come back home, there are some things you must cut out of your life. Some things you must get rid of. Now, what do you need to get rid of? I don't know. It's different for different ones of us. But God will show you and you probably already know because it has something to do with whatever it was that started you on the journey to spiritual dryness in the first place. Maybe it's an activity. Maybe it's some bitterness towards somebody you've been holding on to. Whatever it is, you got to cut it out. Because until you cut it out, it remains a cancer in your spiritual heart. Cut it out. Get rid of it. And part of that is agreeing with God, confessing, God, you're right. This messed me up. This hurt me spiritually. Forgive me, God. Forgive me. Uh, cut it out. Some things maybe you have to stop doing so you have time to start doing the things that keep you close to God. And that's the second thing you need to do. Look at verse 19. He said, and I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, a tender heart toward God. Because when you start drifting from God, your heart gets a little harder, a little colder. You know, the same thing happens in marriages. If you don't keep your eye on, keep your focus on, keep your heart in the direction of your spouse, you drift. And love doesn't grow when you do that. It weakens. This morning before the 8.30 service, I was standing out there greeting people and saw this couple walk in and they were holding hands. And from a distance, I looked at them, waved and said, Hey, keep holding hands. I love that. And I love to see husbands and wives, whether they're 20 years old, 40 years old, or 80 years old, holding hands. And, you know, I like to hold Monisa's hands. I can't wait for her to get back from California Tuesday night, so I'm going to hold her hand. And sometimes when you hold your wife's hand or you hold your husband's hand, it's nice, but then other times, it's really nice. But if you don't keep that consistent connection, you begin to wonder... Things begin to dry up. Same thing's true with you and God. You know, one of the things that I think hurts us a lot in 2023 in American Christianity is that we think everything we do for Jesus has to be, Woo! Thank you. Didn't get anything out of church. Their music wasn't as, wasn't as good as usual. Preaching wasn't as good as usual. You know, we've made it about entertainment, and we don't understand. Listen to me. Listen to me. We don't understand that your life is not about the big stuff. It's about the little stuff. The big stuff makes it interesting and spicy and fun, but it's the little stuff that makes you life and keeps love alive. It's the little things. Because when I do marriage counseling, I'll just tell you it's a whole bunch of little things they got wrong that led to the big thing that messed it up. And the same thing's true in your walk with Jesus. Some days you're going to read the Bible and eh, it's okay. Other days you're going to read, wow. That's okay. Keep doing it. I'm not going to stop holding Monisa's hands because one day it's sweaty. You get my point? Do the little things. Like when you get up in the morning, go to the bathroom and brush your teeth, then you can kiss each other. It's not like TV. You just got to do some stuff so you can stay focused and keep your heart with passion and love, and you've got to find out what are those little things you need to do day after day after day after day that cause your love for Jesus Christ to deepen. So you've got to cut things out so you can do things that, that give you a tender heart toward God. If your heart has grown cold toward God, you need to find what caused that, get rid of it, and then start cultivating your walk with Him. I mean that that principle applies. I mean, if if you want to make good good grades on a test, usually it doesn't work real well if you wait till the night before to cram. You want to build muscles? People tell me this. I don't know anything about it, but people tell me this. You go to the gym every day, right? What do you think is any different with your walk with Jesus? So that's why well, I think I'll just, I'll just go to worship today. I don't need life group or, you know, I don't miss today. I don't feel like going to church today. All those little things, they start adding up and they become bigger things. And the next thing you know, you've created a lifestyle that doesn't promote closeness to God. And it's gradual. It's gradual. I got I got to wrap this up. One last thing you do. Verse 19. He says, no, verse 20 rather, I'm sorry. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances, my commandments, and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. And I thought about that verse. I really tried to understand that verse. And, you know, on the surface, it it seems to be saying, well, they will obey God. So you obey God's how you get close to God. But there's more to it. They will be my people. I will be their God. They keep my ordinances. Do you know what he's really talking about there? Lordship. Lordship. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our friend. He is our helper. But have you forgotten that Jesus is Lord? We don't talk about lordship enough. When was the last time you get on your knees and said, Jesus, you are my Lord? And today I surrender anew, afresh to you as Lord. I accept your Lordship in my life. We you know, just like you need to tell your wife, I love you every day, you need to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. Because when you forget that, it's easy to drift. Now, I want to say something. God will never do to you what he did to the city of Jerusalem and the temple and the people of Israel. In this Old Testament account, he's dealing with the nation of Israel. He left the temple. He left Jerusalem. God is never going to leave you. Biblical teaching for us as disciples of Jesus, he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He will never, ever leave you. But you can turn your back on him, you can ignore him, you can stop listening to him. You can stop doing the small things that cultivate closeness to him. And then it will feel like God has left you, but he's not the one who moved, you did. And he's still with you, but if you're going to come home, you're the one that has to do a turnabout, turnaround, change. Change. You're the one that has to cut some things out. You're the one that has to begin doing some of the things that create intimacy. You're the one that has to say, Oh, Jesus, you are my Lord, and I'm sorry for ignoring you. I'm sorry for not paying attention to you. I surrender to you as Lord. And you begin the journey. Now, now listen. Sometimes when you come back... It happens quick. But other times, just as it was gradual in leaving, it is gradual in coming back. I don't know which it will be for you. Quick or gradual. Here's what I do know. If you don't make the turn, you're not coming back. If you don't make the decision, if you don't decide to turn, you'll keep going further and further away. Because in your spiritual life, you never stay in neutral. You're either going that direction or the other direction. You never, ever stand still spiritually for very long. So, where are you today? Is it like God's in the temple with you? He's real close? Maybe he's out at the door. You, know, you know, he hasn't, you know, not as close, but hey, and still something. Or is he way over there at the Catawba River and he just, he's, he's it's like, it's like he's on the other side of the world to you. And what will you do about it? As we sing this invitation song, what's one thing you can cut out of your life you need to cut out, you need to stop, you need to change? What's one thing you can begin doing to cultivate closeness to God? A small thing. Maybe just one small thing you need to start doing that will deepen your love for him. Or maybe it's been a long time since you knelt on your knees before God and said, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. And today, Lord, I want to say it and I want to acknowledge it.